Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's the drink talking with the thinking drinkers, Ben McFarland and Tom Sandon. And mistress of wine, Sam Capon. All the booze, news and views. From absinthe to Zinfandel. Chin chin what? Hello everybody and welcome once again to It's The Drink Talking. Stop what you're doing. Listen to this because it's important. I am joined as ever by our lovely, lovely hosts, Sam Caporn. How are you doing, Sam? I'm great. Good. All that's the better. En- no, I've, that's enough. Uh, and Tom, how are you doing? Ah, uh, you know, I've I've been better, Ben. Really good. Okay, well, things are about to get better because I'm hosting this stuff this Yay. week. Yeah. So Sam, you're going to yep. be banging on about wine. Yeah. Tom, you're going to be desperately trying to. Cod just to give us some notes and talk about spirits. Most spirit. of talking about vodka. So yeah, it's, oh, that's all right. it's just, you know, yeah. It's just vodka, isn't it? Yeah, it's just vodka. So, no, no technical um, side to it. Uh, yeah, so I'm hosting and I'll be talking about beer in the Spittle Swallow section, which is coming now. now. <laughs> so, first of all, right, okay, my spit is the price of beer. It's too, it's too cheap. What? Um, the f- yes. No, it's not. It is. It's too cheap. Listen to this, right? I told you about my £9 pint yeah, well, the other week. That doesn't matter. Well, okay, I'll tell you why that's fine. Because we had a little discussion about this last oh. time you mentioned your expensive pint. <laughs> okay. Because recently there was a brouhaha. See what I've done <laughs> there? I love it. See? Nice. Relating to the price of a pint. There's a pub or a bar, a sort of craft beer specialty bar in, L- in Borough Market called The Rake. It's been around for years, run by two guys called Mike and Richard. Really know their stuff. Really, if you know your beer, go there, then you'll be very impressed. Now, they have recently made it into the national press mm-hmm. because they were selling a beer called Cloudwater Double IPA. I think it was called North Coast IPA. What's a double IPA? Uh, it's just an IPA, but goes up to 11, pretty much. Ooh, it's so strong, uh, strong, strong more hops. But they were selling it for £13.40 a pint. Punchy. Yeah, okay. Mm. It made you it a bottle of wine for that. Well, okay, well, exactly. The Mirror ran it. Uh, it was this outrage, this idea that how can you have a pint of beer costing £13.40? Firstly, why not? Why is beer priced so cheaply? Why, if you're making a beer with the right ingredients, the right amount of time, passion... So why is it so art, expensive to produce, I wonder? Well, it's in small batches, there's a scarcity value to it as well. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not a massive brewery, so and they make consistently good beer. They do different beers all the time. They're constantly evolving that what they do. So they've developed a massive following. 
And so they do sell their beer a bit more expensive. At the rake. At the rake, £13.40. It's 9%. So they're not selling it in pints. They're selling it in half pints. But it is then priced up to the pint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so if you actually look at it from a wine point of view, you're looking at it's around £4 for 175 milliliter. It's actually not dissimilar from what you'd get for a glass of wine on the entrees. Would it be a good glass of wine? Probably not. I mean, the last time I bought a pint of wine, I had to spend near what you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is this. this I is wouldn't it. even put it in a pint glass. No, yes. but this is the pro- it's equivalent of a £17.70 yeah. bottle of wine. Now, okay. in London, in Borough Market, if you went to any of the restaurants around mm. the rake and said, can I have a bottle of wine, please, but I'm not willing to pay more than £17.70, you would not get a bottle of wine. Mm. Unlikely. Very unlikely. And if you did, I imagine the quality of it would not be very good. The problem is... As a nation, we always value beer in pints. Mm. And it's an, an age-old issue because pints historically have been how we drink beer back when we had the mass industry and we built things and had people actually doing proper jobs for a living. Pints were what people drank because it was 3 4%. They drank pints to refresh like, themselves. Like water. Like water. Mm-hmm. As things have changed and beer has become stronger and more flavoursome, the pint isn't all of a sudden looking like it a little bit out of date and you're seeing this in some of the speciality beer bars as well they're selling beers in a third and a two thirds and a full pint and that's only been allowed recently in the last few years they've been able to bring this special names two thirds two thirds of a pint <laughs> yeah, not, I think someone tried a schooner because that's yeah, like, sort of like yeah. in Australia I've never been to Australia but oh. Listen up, guys, if you want to take us to Australia. Um, so this idea that beer should be drunk in a pint. If you bought a glass of nice wine and went, oh, that's nice, but if I bought a pint of this, it would be £18. Mm. No one yeah, talks pointless. about it, man. It's yeah, just ridiculous. Yeah. And also, some beers are going to be £13.40 a pint because... They're better. They're better. Yeah, I mean, basically, it's consumer choice. There's nothing wrong with it. having that choice. If you don't like it, don't drink it. But if you want to try something boutique, exceptional, expensive... Yes then lucky us for having that choice. The problem beer has is it's been seen as a commodity for Absolutely. too long. And you can't, as we have discovered in business, Ben, if you price yourself down, and Gin's found this as well, if you price yourself down for too long, it's very difficult to then, change yeah, people's to perception your... of what it should cost. And Gin, two of the greatest gins in the world, Beef Eater and uh, Tanqueray London Dry, you can pick up a bottle of them for 15 quid in the supermarket. They can't get that price back up because people are used to paying it. And that's why there's hysteria, because the yeah. people who are upset but gin, aren't people who understand Is gin is quite a cheap is. process, though? I always think, and maybe you can touch on this in the vodka section, but I always think of producing a spirit being pretty simple, kind of get a tank, where rack everything in, take well, it out again. I would suggest that actually of all the processes we talk about here, it's the most complicated <laughs> and none of us can do it, whereas we could all have a go at making wine and beer, but you have to be very well trained and indeed get a licence, which you have to qualify for. And also for. it does take, if you're doing whiskey... A long time. And then you have to spend three mm. years putting it in a barrel and wait for it to be ready, and then it still tastes bad, but so you have to like, wait another um, ten years before it's something, even Okay, so the, taking but, the barrel ones aside, like the you, cognacs and the whiskies and the bourbons and all those, but with something like a gin, I'm just questioning the fact that it's cheap and what you're saying. I perceive it as being quite a straightforward process and that is you have sort of tank a botanicals you ferment it you move it on right you don't have to hold on for it for long there's not the cash flow issue there's not the aging it in oak it's more like a white wine 
an unoaked white wine that's made in a stainless steel tank, much more of a cheaper proposition right. than anything that's gone in oak, that's been aged or... We can, to and fro, on the uh, production values that go into making beef eater are extraordinary. And in terms of sourcing those botanicals and getting them at the right time of year, you have to be very careful with those botanicals. You have to look after them. It is definitely worth more than they're charging mm. for it. But the point is to take back to what Ben was talking about is that gin went through a, a phase of 20 or 30 years where it just wasn't popular mm. and people weren't buying it. So they had to bring lower the, the price. Lower the price. Mm. Now, gin is incredibly popular and people will not think twice about spending 30 quid on a bottle of gin now. Mm. What I'm saying is beef eater is as good as the gins they're spending yeah. 30 quid on, but they but perceive the that as a price, cheaper yeah, gin so it. they won't pay. Yeah. And that's what's happened to beer. Unfortunately... It's not going to change well, amongst think, a certain demographic, is yes, it? Unless I, we, well, it, I mean, it, they listen just to, this. to take the spirit <laughs> analogy, is that like the other last podcast we or two podcasts ago, we tasted that two thousand pound bowl of Hennessy. Mm, that was amazing. I, I went to Hennessy. Uh, you did mention plane, private jet, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. that trip. But you wouldn't say, you know, God, I can get a bottle of Napoleon brandy for uh, for twelve pounds. I uh, wouldn't, but there are people out there who would say. You spent how much on yeah. a brandy? Oh, I can get Napoleon down the supermarket. Yes, so it's that, the same with any luxury so product. Problem, you know, what a, a five thousand pound watch timepiece. A timepiece yeah. <laughs> does the same job as you know a cashier yeah. number. But that's not the point, is it? No. And also, if you want to buy a cashier, do it. But mm. don't complain about people, people who want pay more. Products. And the same goes with beer. But car scale is the big problem with, with the price of beers because historically, Camera, who've done some amazing stuff in reviving car scale, the campaign for Real L, as they are a consumer group, they have consistently campaigned for being at a lower price, which is crazy because mm. it's harder to make, it's harder to look after in the pub than lager. But it's consistently price considerably lower than lager which but means now demand. well it's not only that but they have to publicans have to get rid of the beer they have to sell the beer over a three four day period otherwise oh. it's done mm. so if they price it too high they think people are not going to buy it so they price it lower to get the throughput which means that any brewer brewing car scale is not going to get as much money for car scale as it would for keg beer so now loads of people like Cloudwater, they've just said, mm-hmm. we can't, we're not doing cars because well, we, we can't... That's a we, real shame, isn't and, it? Because and you, to lose and that. that is, and if you think about the ingredients and the love mm. and the care and attention that goes into brewing car scale, and people are saying, I'm not going to pay more than £3.10 a pint. If people put 30p on, on a pint, then that does well, do certainly raise it. I mean, it, over um, 10 pints, that's another three quid. Mm. It's an amazing bargain. And I think the real scandal with beer is that you can pay about five, six quid for a shit mm. pint of lager. You're paying for the marketing, you're paying for the badge, you're not paying for any of the quality there. But people but guess, will not blink um, at a kind of snazzy European lager because it but comes that's in thing, a it's nice like class. everything. There's a market for different people. So, for example, you know, there'll be people who want to drink a big branded beer or wine or whatever, and they're very specific about how much they spend. Mm. And, you know, basically a large volume product is generally cheaper. But if you get something that's more boutique and that's made in smaller quantities, I think generally people understand that you then need to pay more for that. But just to finally bring this to a close, you never hear in the newspapers about a bottle of wine costing 60 quid in a restaurant there's never this yeah, outrage yeah. but with beer because we're obsessed with the price of a pint it just seems to be something that you know oh my god I spent more than a five mm. quid a pint it seems to be this thing that is locked into the British consciousness and it needs to change because 
if none of these breweries can make any money off mm. it, and if pubs can't make any money off it, they're going to continue to push wines and spirits at the expense of beer because they need to make money. Mm. Mm. And so next time you buy a beer... Don't moan about how much it costs because you're getting a fucking bargain, all right? <laughs> so there we go. That's that one. Ooh, passionate so, about that, Ben. Swallow. A lot of beer marketed at women. Terrible. There's lots of breweries throughout the ages have tried to design a beer marketed at the ladies. Mm-hmm. And there's been things called like female. You saw what I mean? With A-L-E. Oh, yeah, never seen it. it. Uh, No, there's a reason, because it's shit. Right. (laughs) Um, Condescending, patronising, packaging, awful stuff. With kittens um, on the front. With kittens on the front. (laughs) So there's been all that. So um, it was quite refreshing to read that there's a Portsmouth brewery who've designed a beer called Liberation for ladies going through the menopause. How does that work? So, Tell me through that. There's a woman down there who's Joanne Francis, the co-owner, who spent six years researching and designing a beer that will help with the change. So it's got full of HRT in it? What's HRT? Hormone replacement therapy. No, I don't think it's got therapy in it. <laughs> uh, but it does have... This is going to be an interesting one, Ben. I'm, yeah, I'm no, not can sure can I just we say, are qualified to go in. Can I just subject? say, before we go into this, that I'm going to be trying very, very hard... I'm treading carefully here. Yeah, yeah, that way. I'm not. Why do they think it helps the menopause? Well, I'll tell you why, but that's a very good leading question. Well done, Sam. Because the best way to get through it is just to drink. Okay, because <laughs> yeah. she's consulted a psychologist, Sylvia Pollock, and she's a kinesiologist, which I think is a whole load of different therapies like physiotherapy, things like that, and a herbalist and a, a wellness practitioner. And they've designed a Gruet-style ale, which is Gruet is a basic a beer brewed with herbs rather than hops, quite fruity, quite spicy apparently. But the beer contains ingredients that herbalists believe can help to alleviate some of the symptoms caused by hormonal changes experienced during the menopause. And these include motherwort, lemon balm, chamomile, stinging nettle, mugwort, rose chickweed and damiana. And they add a little bit of hops towards the end uh, during secondary fermentation, which obviously hopefully makes it taste <laughs> decent. And apparently it does work. Oh, OK. Yeah, probably. Intriguing. One can't help but think that the quantities of the herbs mm. in a beer are going to be so minuscule that they'd be hard pushed to make a morale But effect. also going through the process of fermentation and quite rigorous heating. I mean, I suppose you could put them in a tea... So that would make them work. But going through fermentation sounds like some of the medicinal value might well, have been... Well, whatever you think about it, it um, it's better than what they used to do in the Victorian times. Well, this is... What was that? Um, so uh, they, I wondered where we were going. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you know that um, the word hysterical comes from the Greek word hysteron, which means uterus? And any no, no, I just <laughs> I didn't know that hysterical was related to uterus. So there we are. It's all anything uh, like that. It's always related to back to women in negative oh, ways. Yeah, yeah, because men, men were the only ones that could read until yeah, about right, ten years right. ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we made up all the words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 1890s, menopausal women had their ovaries removed to prevent idiocy, mania, or death. So at least they don't do that anymore. And this is bad. Mm. This is bad. How much do you think they have to spend? On their periods in a lifetime, um, and this includes sanitary products, pain relief, new underwear, <laughs> toiletries, a lot. Go on, Apparently, tell us. This includes also. But this is done. But this is bear. Um, I'll, I'll give you the context because they've included 
magazine and comforting chockies. <laughs> Apparently, this is the okay. actual. Let's research. go for let's go for five grand. No, it's, oh, no, it's, it's, it's going to be more it's, than that, isn't it? It's, what's that about forty quid a month? No, that's rubbish. Forty quid a month and a packet of Tampax. No, but then they've got you've not fashioned in new underwear here. The flowers. You can can take the expensive uh, kit off. Eighteen thousand four hundred fifty pounds apparently. That's a that's a survey conducted amongst two thousand one hundred thirty-four women. Bizarre. I'm going to say bizarre. I'd say um, liberation. Schmiberation. Yeah, I'm a bit cynical a, about that, I've got to say. Nice, nice. But maybe I'll come back in 10 years' time and tell you it's amazing. Yeah. I think it's a good little story. I've um, <laughs> done a research. Good so, stories um, are, well done. are our bread and butter. Well done, those guys. Uh, I think you've made uh, a good decision there. So, <laughs> oh, do you know one last thing? What's the only other animal that gets menopause? Penguins? No. Do you know penguins suffer from depression? They do. They walk off into the middle of nowhere on their own. The thing is, they look so happy. That's what's so wrong. It's difficult to know. When they're walking, it's such a comedy walk. You think, oh, he's He's walking into the abyss. Yeah, Yeah, really sad, isn't it? Poor penguins. The thing is, they are just sort of, what have they got to do? I mean, mean, you've got to say to them, nothing's black and white. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Going back to which animal also has a menopause, I'm going to go for elephant. Whale. I was going to say, yeah, whale. they're quite bright, mm. aren't they? Dolphins, I'm surprised. Can you imagine not in a there. moody whale? Elephants, okay. dolphins, and whales. I would have said mm. that. Yeah, any of those are in the mix, or penguins, which is what I went for. <laughs> Apparently, um, a whale's willy weighs a ton. Does it really? Yep. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to It's the Drink Talking. So let's go on to the next thing we're doing, which is a tasting. Tom, you, you seem to have some colourless liquid in front of you. I do. We're going to taste vodka. And what I'm hoping to do for you guys and hopefully encourage for the listeners is the notion that some people think all vodka tastes the same. 
and there's a it does. really big, <laughs> doesn't it? Come on. There's a really big movement in the industry at the moment to try and change that perception about it. Are they trying to ginify vodka? No, they're talking about towar though which will interest you as a, a grape enthusiast. And, Ben, you've got grapes as well, so you might yes. be interested. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, they want to get back to what the real roots of vodka, where it all comes from. Now, the big push for vodka over the last 100 years has all been about purity. So it stands to reason that most people who approach vodka in the present day tend to think of it as a neutral spirit. In the... 1800s, they started to distill more than once, they started to filter their vodka, and this quest for purity was what drove everyone forward in the industry. And then, in the 20th century, we really jumped on the vodka bandwagon, particularly in America, after they'd gone through Prohibition. Now, Prohibition was a ridiculous idea, it completely backfired on the Americans, but one of the side effects was the fact that there was no booze When it came to being legalised again, no one would age their spirits because they wanted to make money quickly and no one wanted intense flavours because they hadn't been drinking any alcohol for 10 years. So everyone started to go for very neutral palate products. So fizzy yellow beer that didn't taste as much and vodka. And vodka stepped into this this gaping hole in the spirits industry and took it by storm. And today it remains the number one spirit in the world. It's still the biggest selling spirit. and people. I don't are... drink a lot of vodka unless it's in a Cosmo. Well, there you go. But mm. a lot of people add it to mixed drinks because it doesn't taste as much. much. Yeah. They like that about it. It gives them their intense buzz without being too challenging on the palate. What's happening to our palates at the moment, people? Why are we doing this podcast? We're all developing. Because we've, we want to taste things again, don't we? Mm. Our food has become more important to us and our drink is becoming more important Umami's to us. Umami's in town. It wasn't in. Well, exactly. No, it wasn't it was it when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which um, I think means delicious, doesn't it? I don't know what it means, actually. That's a bit right of a in, folks. ball-dropping <laughs> moment. Just to give you an indication of how flavourless vodka might be, in America, the criteria for what it must be still stands as distilled to at least 95% ABV, so has to be without distinctive character, aroma, taste or colour. (laughs) Sign me up for a litre. Yum, yum. (laughs) Now, if you're making something... And is it made from potatoes? Right, so vodka can be made from anything. (laughs) That's a good question. Vodka can be made from anything. Anything that can provide a starchy sugar substance that can be fermented can go into a vodka. So it's Um, not made from potatoes? Predominantly, it is made from from grains, but also potatoes. Particularly in Russia? Have I made that up? No, uh, the Polish like it. Um, And here, Chase Vodka is made up in Herefordshire and they use their own potatoes, which they grow in the farm and then they make their vodka. Great vodka. Potato gives your vodka a slightly oily, richer mouthfeel. The grains vary in terms of what they can give it Barley, wheat, rye. Barley would give a sort of crisp. uh, Rye would give perhaps a more peppery, Mm. earthy flavour. So already we're talking about different ingredients and how... Can you have a corn vodka? Yes, you can, yeah. It would be slightly sweeter. Um, Uh, I'm trying to think of more grains. (laughs) Buckwheat. Yeah, I mean, they all... Quinoa? They should. Quinoa. Can you make a quinoa? They should have an effect. I haven't tried quinoa or couscous, but... We're we're having that. Okay. (laughs) Well, already you're talking about these things as though, well, they should have an effect. And they do. The reason that we don't really associate vodkas with these flavour differentiators... (laughs) (laughs) ..is... Because they filter them, so they distill take all the tasty shit out. Take all, <laughs> take all the stuff out. 
Not anymore, people, because ah. vodka is enjoying a resurgence. And um, last week I went to a tasting uh, with Belvedere. Now, Belvedere are one of the bigger uh, vodka companies, and they are by no means first to the party when it comes to adding flavour to their vodka. But they've just launched two vodkas at the same time, one called Smigori Forest. Now, Belvedere's <laughs> Polish, so... Please appreciate my Polish there. One called Smogori Forest and one called Lake Bartoszek. 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 They use rye at the base of their vodka and they've got six different regions where they, or even eight different regions where they take their rye from. But what they started to do was look at each of those different blends and say, well, actually, you know what, guys? These will taste a bit different. So let's see if we can just distill with one region. So they took some from a forest and some from by a lake and they made different <laughs> distillates. Right. right. So let's yeah. taste see if them. They taste and I've got a question. You've got a question. So like with some big companies like Absolute that make flavoured vodka, okay. how's that made? Just well, chuck flavouring in. Yeah, that's a very different conversation and we can do flavoured vodkas on another occasion but yes, depending on the process some of them will use aroma chemicals effectively and as a result it can taste synthetic so if you get a strawberry vodka and it tastes of Tastes of, <laughs> no, but it tastes, it tastes of the things yeah. you think should taste like strawberries. Yogurt. Exactly. Opal fruits, which we've talked about before. Do you know, I if you no had two yogurts side you. by side and one was pinker than the other, you'd taste them and you'd find the pinker one to have a stronger strawberry taste, even if they tasted exactly the same. Why? Okay. Because you're... Just cause, I just think, because you know what um, we're talking before on the other podcast about senses of taste? Mm. And it's just so linked with sound, sight, all your mm. other jobbies that basically if people wanted to think of a way to make consumers think the flavor was more strawberry just make it look pinker okay so this is the smigori that one is the bartajek this Remember, is the river it's just the river one Bartoszek the lake one is the lake one and i'm putting the smigori. b one before the s one like the okay. alphabet okay. so okay. i don't get All confused like, and this is your yeah. smigori forest okay smigori forest give them a smell and give them a taste now bearing in mind you are super so which tasters one, which one was what so B, B, B was river. Yeah. B and is for by the river. Yeah. S is for okay. forest. Right. <laughs> now, as you're doing it, I will tell you a little bit about what they've achieved here. Because they've come from different regions, and you'll know this because of terroir, but the forest, the rye grain that's grown in the forest has taken on a lot more of the characteristics that you associate with things that are growing near woodland. So it's a bit more earthy and a bit more mushroomy. Oh, they are that. different. They are different. Yes. Boom. I definitely prefer the, the cleaner, crisper, watery one. Oh, my goodness. She is a super taster. I find the second one more mossy. Unbelievable. I'm getting... More earthy. Ben, you're a peasant, so we don't really care. I can taste little birdies yeah, in ben, the wood one ben and fish in the river one. Ben can taste his sugar puffs from this morning. <laughs> Cocoa pops. Ooh, they are different. They are different, aren't they? Mm. Point they proven. Are. They are. Well, they, they should be proven because they've done a hell of a lot of organoleptic chemical research Ooh. on it and it actually is true. So it's just as well you can mm. taste the difference, yeah. folks, because I wanted to um, prove the point even further by going to Vestal Vodka. And this is actually made by an English company and this is a potato vodka. So that's Ooh. two rye grains you've tasted there and now this is a potato vodka. Without wanting to... Um Ooh. Throw a question that you, more like tequila. that you might not know the answer to. 
What kind of taters do they use? Are they... Well, Ben, they've kindly sent us three samples. We really can't get through them all. We'll be absolutely battered. Uh, <laughs> but we've got the vested pomors or pomorge. Pomorge? P-O-M-O-R-Z-E. It's jolly distinctive. And they take the potatoes from Poland, Ben. Sorry, just to finish on that. A red skin asterisk potatoes. Oh, so that's quite cool, that's isn't it? That's a well-known cool. that's potato. Cool. And they come from the Baltic coast and they only have a single distillation wow. at Vestal. That is So punchy. Vestal are kind of more pioneering in this, although Belvedere have made a big splash about it recently. Vestal were kind of a bit ahead of the curve in this, just doing single distillations, not filtering. They, the people who make it grown up around Poland, and they were very passionate about going back to this original idea mm. of how vodka is made and how crucial that base ingredients is to your experience of it and how terroir in vodka And it does have the oily, they've got mm. that one, the Vestal, whatever you call yeah. it. They definitely have that more... Yeah, it's not as crisp mm. It's and just clean. more, yeah. I don't know if you're getting any of the other things they say of it, but mm. I do get a bit of licorice They're very off different, it, even though they are... Even. I find that extreme pungent. Mm. To me, it's almost heading towards tequila. There even though they are both made in Poland, mm. they are... Poles apart. Oh, yeah. I love they it. They are very different, aren't they? Uh, no, uh, mainly because think... one's made from potato, I imagine. Yeah, the other one's made but, from grain. But, but that's the point, isn't it? I mean, that On is the massive. Bar, there are about twenty different vodkas of choice, and they're all going to be made with well, different. not all, but they're going to be a lot of them made with different things. And Tom, that's fascinating. I really enjoyed that. They Good. really are different. Which they was are your massively favorite? different. Without a shadow of doubt, the one by the river. The Belvedere Lake Bartajet. Okay, yeah. Ben, what did Probably you... Probably because I quite like my vodkas more neutral clean and, and clean and crisp, and I like that crisp. freshness. Yeah, the Vestal I really, really liked, but it is very characterful. Yeah. Mm. And it has that kind of creaminess to it. Well, there you go. There's three different vodkas we've just tasted here. Mm. If you bought them all and sat down, you could actually take your flavour progressions through all the different areas you can go with vodka. And uh, have a nice evening also, drinking yeah. too much also, But I'm also very suspicious of those vodkas that their sort of marketing line is that they've distilled it like eight, eight times. times. Yeah. Like, well, that just sounds like you've just so, killed um, everything. I've got a it. question that's yes. hopefully not as irritating as I suspect it could well, be. Well, we'll find out. So um, part of me wonders, with a lot of these vodkas, are they all just going to have a mixer chucked in anyway? Ergo, what's the point? Or are these more expensive ones? Do you drink vodka on its own or is it for vodka martinis? Well, this, well OK, so this will probably set you back somewhere in the region of 40 to £50 a Belvedere. Mm. Um, the ambition of mm. the company and the world of vodka is probably that people at least approach these and drink them neat. Drink them like they would a whiskey. And when it comes to rye, like a rye whiskey is a big, powerful flavour that you would drink independently. You, wouldn't, mm. you can have it in great cocktails. But I think it's unrealistic to expect everyone to go out and buy this and drink it neat. Having said that, it is brilliant neat and it goes really well with food, particularly seafood. Mm. And I think that if you can find a way to integrate something like this into a dinner party with your mates, it's a real point mm. of difference. My wife is half Polish and so we, we have a Polish Christmas. Mm. They celebrate on Christmas Eve and... Vodka is massive. We have about five or six toasts during a meal and you just have to stand up and tell everyone how much you love them and all that kind of nonsense. But you have a vodka with each each time and then you have sledge, which is basically herring and onion on bread. Sounds horrible. It's absolutely lovely. Delicious, yeah. And then the vodka yeah, really, really the cuts cut through. through. It's mm. amazing. And they, they just drink shit it. Face in it. Vodka is something that historically I've always had issues with. Yeah. It's just swept my legs away. And I like it, but I'm very wary of it. From a just, I don't know why it just goes right to my head. Mm. But I'm getting better. <laughs> yeah, uh, they talk about it. Like my mother-in-law and her sister, and 
they will talk about the different vodkas and which ones they like. And it's certainly not in a vodka drinking culture mm. like Poland and I imagine Russia. They talk about it in the same way you would with whiskey in terms of different types and variants. And you know, have the bison grass, the brovka, bison yeah, grass, that's vodka. Great, that's a, that's I mean, one that, to try as well. When you talk about flavoured vodkas, that's, yeah, that's home, a slightly different flavouring process in that they brush it through grass and put it in with a piece of grass in the bottom. And they whack it in amazing. the freezer. And it really it's beautiful is. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Vodka's been kicked in the balls by the 20th century massively. But also, and I it, think it's been kicked in the balls by. Our drinking culture. Yeah, I mean, you can chicken and egg again. But I I think the mass production of it and the neutral flavours of it go back to what you're saying about beer. Hmm. And it's just a big process of trying to get like a Chardonnay grape, you know, just trying to get those products that have lost their way a bit. Back on the forefront of the mind. There was a reason people liked them in the first place. Well done, Tom. That was fascinating. I like the one from the wood. Good. I did you? I like them all. All vodka makes an effort. I can imagine like a moose... Yeah. Like walking through it, okay. stopping, Probably more like looking a bison up at the sky. Mm. Yeah, do they have moose in there? I don't know. They have lots of wildlife in the area, which they claim affects terroir, Ben. So it's nice and to talk about badgers pl- and things. And why is... Now, here's a question. Here's a question for you. Why is the plural of goose geese, but moose isn't mace? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> Listeners, write, write in. in. Why do you... Uh, Oh, yeah, no, no, I'm presenting this bit, yeah, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I, I just sat back rather smugly thinking, I'll leave that one there. Move it on. Now, <clears throat> Sam, you want to tell us about some kind of legend. This better be good because the rest of this podcast has been Bang amazing. Yeah, so uh, don't let us down. Okay, I'll try not to. My Legend of Liquor is quite an interesting one in that I recently feel I sometimes come up against a bit of wine snobbery. And um, I don't know if you guys get this in your industry, but... Oh, not, not really. Not really, yeah. <laughs> but I just I think, don't talk to anyone. <laughs> I don't know, there's various places I've worked in and da-da-da-da, and you, you get exposed to sort of maybe sort of finer wines. And then lastly in my career, I've been very commercial and I've bought for sort of big companies and wines that aren't as sort of expensive, mm. but are more kind of widely available. Yeah, accessible. I'm, accessible. And um, to my mind, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You want to introduce people into the category, you want to get people off sort of RTDs, introduce them to wine. And um, going with what we were saying before about like sweetness, you know, you want wines that are approachable, easy to drink. Certainly from the new world, you don't have all the complication of, you know, it's from mm. Sancerre, therefore you have to learn it. it's a Sauvignon mm. and da 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 da. And I went for a tasting recently with a bunch of people. <clears throat> And um, was that uh, about the people or yeah. the tasting? Okay, people. And, um, <laughs> and okay, wait, okay, wait, 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 wait. Sammy, do you realise this is <laughs> this is going out on air? Okay? Do you realise I do yeah. quite a lot of tastings? Yeah, so and oh, I just okay. want, so, uh, well, okay. what do they look like? Come on, tasting, come on tell us more. Who are these um, people? I'm not telling you. But someone made a comment about the whole of New Zealand wines. You know, oh, this New Zealand wine's nice, not like the rest of them. And you think, bloody hell, you mm. know. And was, I just, that, was that Oz Clark? No. <laughs> um, no, Oz would never do that. But, you know, some people just need to get a grip on the fact that their little demographic of fine wine is not the market and it might be nice, a bit more inclusive. So, to that end, having got my bloody back up that bloke did with that New Zealand comment. Oh, it's narrowed it down. Um, <laughs> oh, who could it be? <laughs> my legend of liquor is a guy called John Casella, also a living gentleman. And he is the brains behind the enormous brand that is known as Yellowtail. 
No, oh, I'm yeah. assuming you guys um, have heard of Yellowtail. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's discounted in co-op. I buy it all the it's time. It's not a bird. Is it a bird? It's, no, it's a kind of a wallaby or something like that, I think. It's <laughs> it? a, some sort of is Australian it? marsupial. Is it? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. It sounds like it should it's be a bird. It's got a tail, though. Correct. No, it's, uh, I've got a picture of the label here. I can show it to you later. It's called Yellowtail. It is like a kind of a, a wallaby. It's very Australian. But you know what? This guy, I just think this story is absolutely fascinating. So his parents were Italian immigrants. They came over to Australia in the 60s and they started growing grapes and they set the winery up in something like 1969 or something like that. And they just... Um, they supplied um, basically the grapes to other people making wine. Then they made their own wine. And um, and I used to go and buy wines from them when I was an Australian wine buyer. And you'd fly to Sydney and then you'd get on a little plane. Oh, almost worse than those people. Um, <laughs> you know, those little kind of 20-seater planes. Puddle jumpers. <laughs> I, I call them a private jet. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you basically fly for another hour to this hilarious place called Griffith which is in New South Wales, and it's been this kind of Italian settlement, and it's got a bit of a mob reputation. And you'd hear people tell you all these stories, and um, it's this amazing kind of wine community, but basically people who are making quite large volumes of wine. So you get quite a lot of big wineries based there. All their bridge plates will be like one giraffe. Giraffe is an Australian grape, and it's just... (laughs) It's not uh, not an Australian giraffe, then. No, (laughs) and it's just this really kind of extraordinary, unique place in Australia. You know, it's not massively sophisticated. It's not like Sydney, but an hour from Sydney and you'd go to this really amazing, unique place. Anyway, the Casellas who set up the winery, there's the lady who's called uh, Maria and the, her husband's called Filippo. 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 Big Phil. Filippo. And they basically established the winery. And then it was uh, their son, John Casella, who is my legend, who then decided that he wanted to create like a big brand that kind of went away from the snobbery of wine and people could just enjoy it. They didn't have to worry about region, vintage, varietal, just a really nice, easy to drink. So he basically came up with that in 1994. Right. Okay. The business is now valued at 1.5 billion Aussie dollars. Cross. I don't know what the exchange rate is. I don't know, but it's still quite a lot That's of cash. A lot. It's going to be all right. Um, G'day, but mate. But the two things <laughs> I really like money. is that, um, sorry, he became managing director in 1994 and in 2001 he created the Yellowtail, which was the, is the, the Wallaby label. It's enjoyed in 50 countries around the world and more than two and a half million glasses of Yellowtail are drunk every day. But what I liked is when I went to go and see them, we did an own label made by Casella for the company to work for. And Maria, the mum, who sadly died in 2014, she still lived by the winery. Like, they had their little house that they had, I guess, built themselves. And this extraordinary winery, I mean, I remember going to see it, and it's, like, bigger than a couple of football fields. Mm. I actually got mildly agoraphobic. It was so massive. Mm. This all just grew up around her, and she stayed there. And John always comes out and sort of welcomes you and says hi. And Mm. just the fact that they've just created this extraordinary brand from scratch... And she could have gone and lived in a multi-million pound yeah, house. Sold and, out, but they're just, and it's all about family. And I think that, you know, the guys would go to hers for dinner every night. And it's very family, very Italian, and just all about enjoying wine, sort of enjoying life, enjoying family. And I just think they've really got their head screed on. Yeah, and nice. I think um, I like to hear that. they were good. And are they still independent? 
Yes, and that's a really interesting. So John Surely owns, someone's been kicking their tyres and trying yeah, to buy them. Yeah, so they've just, I think, had a shared buyback agreement because they didn't want it to become not family owned. So my understanding is that John owns 50% and his two other brothers, Joe and Marco, share the other... 30 yeah, and 20. Yeah, you've got to do that. If you really want to retain that... But I just think it's amazing. And I remember going to a tasting when I was at a magazine and we went to a tasting and the guys I was with were a bit like so sneery about Yellowtail. And it's just easy to drink. You can drink it on its own in front of Strictly. You can have it with food. It's kind of, you know... Can I drink it in in front of Strictly? Thanks. I don't know. Do you watch Strictly? That sounds like a punishment. (laughs) (laughs) But I just think... um, I just think... break the glass and slit your wrist with it. I just think... (laughs) Just bottle yourself. What an amazing success story. You know, you don't have to be Hennessy to be a massive success story. No, but it it helps. You know, you can have your private jets and your big companies (laughs) and actually you can have a little Italian family that emigrated to Australia in the 50s. But do they, as well as doing these kind of entry-level, very accessible... Mm. Wines, do they then showboat with some wines that are kind of like, okay, if we really wanted to, this is the kind of cool yeah, stuff we can do. That's not their market. They do have some more premium wines in their portfolio. And interestingly, that recently they've been buying some other wineries as well. So they're, oh, okay. ex- they're expanding. Um, Sam has just shown me a small Lots. picture of a big field which I, and a winery. That does look, look big. That's all the mm. vineyards, but can you see that's the winery? That is very, yeah, very big. It doesn't crazy. work brilliantly on It's on not podcasts. great for radio. <laughs> Google it. But, Casella but, Winery. I mean, I suppose there's always going to be, in, in everything we talk about, there's going to be more noise at the top end mm. because people have got more to say about the kind of elite examples of each beer, wine and spirit. But actually, the vast majority of wine is drunk it's below a certain price point, yeah. isn't it? And, you and so would you use... say, like, in, yeah. if you're looking at brands, there's a sort of handful of well-known brands like mm. Jacobs Creek and mm. um, Wolf... Blast. Wolf Blast and people like that. Would you say Yellowtail is consistently reliable? I for think they all point? are. That's the whole point. Yeah. You have a whole handful, particularly of you know Australian brands, and they're really popular. They're kind of good value. Now, it's difficult because you don't need to talk about terroir. You don't have to talk about vintage. The whole idea is that they're reliable. You know, they taste the same year in, year out, and consumers know what they're getting. There's no surprises. As also a wine expert, you know, there's not loads to talk about with how the wine's mm. made, you know, there is an element of an FMCG behind it. You know, mm. it's when you've got a brand this big, it arguably becomes a bit more of a commodity than if you've got a tiny boutique winery and they're, you know, they're spending tons of time and money and effort. Mm. But equally, the skills of these winemakers and being able to get out wine that's that consistently good and reliable. Yeah. You and it's need firm. that. You need Pretty that good. in wine, don't you? You need yeah. to take away that mystique because not everyone's, everyone's going in at the top yeah. level. And if you want to get people drinking wine and interested in wine, you have to make it accessible so that I, people yeah, step and up I just occasionally. Think, you know, the... certainly with what I do, I think there's just so many people who just concentrate on the top end. And I'm always far more interested in more in the commercial end. And the, the majority of people are actually drinking and what represents good value, what are nice wines. You know, mm. you don't need to be spending £30. I mean, obviously they're delicious. No, I spend four ninety nine. I think that's... that's <laughs> I think the fact it's that it's family owned is a real plus point. I mean, if you look at that other Australian institution, uh, Pippa's Caravan Park, mm. I mean, they were... Flaming glass. They, <laughs> were, they were family owned and, and remained true to their roots. Yeah. I mean... She remains steadfastly independent. No is this one... home and away? Yeah. Yeah, and I've just got to pull you back and on the Hennessy yeah. thing, yeah. Uh, private jets and Hennessy and all that. Uh, seventh generation master blenders there. Yeah. Oh, they, so yeah. although I think there's a way... Heritage the problem history. is if you sell, 
you don't have that you guarantee in mm. 200 years that they'll be owned. And they, uh, they're so making wine just my, like um, a mama used to make. Yes, that's yeah. my legend. I just think, um, <laughs> wow, entrepreneurial, successful, but humble and still with priorities and you know, producing a very reliable wine that a lot of people love. Legends. Legends. get our legends. New South Wales. Well done. Legend. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much for listening once again. Um, next week, we will be back with uh, more chat about bouge. Uh, so uh, look forward to that. And all that remains for us to do is to say cheerio. Cheerio. Bye. Cheers. This was a Grand Cru podcast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cast from 7 Digital.